It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Good morning. Welcome to Thursday's Cork Today. Our lines are open. Bernie taking your calls and comments right now on 0818 103 103 or you can text or indeed WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. You can email across the show Today at c103.ie and ahead on the programme this morning. Figures released under the Freedom of Information Act to Cork East Deputy Sean Sherlock show how Cork County Council has paid out more than 5.6 million euro in compensation in relation to injuries sustained on footpaths over the past four years. Now, earlier this week, we had got calls and even emails in from people both in the city and county regarding the condition of our footpaths here in Cork. And could that money be put to better use investing in these footpaths rather than in their failings? Sean will join us shortly to discuss those figures. Also, why Cork County councillors want to see an increase in the vacant property refurbishment grant to ensure more people are incentivised to invest in derelict and vacant properties across Cork and the cost of living and housing crisis is dominating the teaching conferences held this week. We'll be speaking with the INTO this morning on that who will join us regarding what teachers require now uh, for their work in the profession of teaching. Also Ireland and the UK bidding for Euro 2028. Cork not featuring in this bid but Dublin will with the Aviva turning into the Dublin Arena and also it's Casement Park in Belfast as they operate one stadium one city policy. London will see two due to its size but the rest of the UK and Ireland will see one stadium uh, in each city going forward for this bid. It's a joint bid between uh, Ireland, Northern Ireland and Scotland, Wales and England all going in together for this up against Turkey so we'll see what happens. But what's planned and uh, how will the bid be uh, sought by UEFA and are we going to be successful? Could we be successful? Well, our soccer correspondent has been looking into this. We'll speak with Trevor Welch later in the programme and we heard and spoke yesterday to Cork Dog on a very distressing case and this was a lurcher dog who was abandoned who was found on a roadside and had sustained a lot of injuries and due to this passed away due to the injuries this poor lurcher had and now today Another case of animal cruelty being highlighted this time by the Animal Rescue and Welfare Group, My Lovely Horse Rescue. And this is a case in Bishopstown whereby a man, and he was witnessed by people, and and there's a video of this on the My Lovely Horse Twitter feed, but 
this man was seen power hosing a dog and obviously the dog became very frightened and was trying to run away. Now it looked like the dog was either caught or his leash was tied to the rear of the car uh, or maybe the leash was just caught. I'm not too sure but the dog was trying to run away anyhow and imagine the pressure from a hose you would see in those garages and indeed the chemicals that are contained in the water in these hoses. They're there to clean the car uh, not to spray on dogs. So we're going to speak uh, with my lovely horse rescue later in the programme on yet another case of animal cruelty this week and staying with animals but in a good way if you have a pet in your home and you have a query uh, for our vet Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket Jane will be along after 12.30 answering all your pet queries so that and more to come uh, between now and one and as always your views are welcome 0818 103 103 Bernie taking your calls you can text or indeed WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 and of course Joe Biden well, the President of the United States is making headlines everywhere this morning. Uh, wall-to-wall coverage on news last night. No matter what news channel you put on, I'm sure you would have seen the coverage from Belfast, Dundalk, uh, Carlingford and now today Dublin. Uh, and while many are welcoming his uh, visit here to Ireland and we can see the coverage Ireland is getting both north and south right across the States. Uh, last night there was, well, some said, will he make a gaffe? And he did. And this was when he was in Dundalk. Uh, he was visiting last night, of course, uh, Dundalk and his cousins after he was in Carlingford. And he praised his distant cousin, Rob Kearney, for beating. Uh, but rather than saying the All Blacks, this actually is what happened. You see this tie I have with a shamrock on it? This was given to me by one of these guys right here. <coughs> it was a hell of a rugby player. And they beat the hell of the black and tans. Oh, God. But... Now, many people laughed it off and some were asking, what was he thinking of when he was saying the black and tans? This was at the Windsor pub in Dundalk. Uh, and as it was um, laughed off, off, there was a few more uh, gags that he did perform as well. I don't know, was he joking or not? But he did refer to Michal Martin as a proud loud man. Uh, not sure how Michal referred or reacted to that one, but he seemed to be smiling. Uh, but while all that was going on, and if you were looking at the TV news last night, it does, I suppose we're always used to seeing maybe bad news uh, there was a sense of enlightenment. It wasn't all bad. People were smiling. People were happy. Even the reporters reporting on this uh, seemed to be joyous in the occasion and very upbeat. So it did bring a different sense to the news uh, rather than doom and gloom that many say you see a lot of the time on the news and the news is there to report on what's happening so and everything is going to be happy in life. Uh, but while all that was going on, it was a celebration of Irishness, you could say, the White House had to come out yesterday then and insist that Joe Biden is not anti-British. And after he began his engagements, engagements in uh, Belfast yesterday, uh, many, such as Arlene Foster and others then within the DUP, uh, really felt that he was pro-Republican and even Arlene Foster came out and she claimed that Joe Biden hates the UK. Uh, now, in Belfast, Mr. Biden did say that he was there to listen and he did meet with the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, who afterwards in an interview said he has met uh, the President of the States 
a number of times in the last few months, uh, recently only in the last month. So he was happy enough to meet for a quick chat, which was a very quick chat in Belfast yesterday because they have met so much within the last while. And then I was watching UK TV last night and this kind of took me back. I was watching this on, on a number of their different channels. I wasn't uh, BBC Right TV, the two main channels, if you want to call them that in the UK, but other ch- news channels they have. And they seem to be upset at the president's visit to the Republic. And they kept claiming that he was a nationalist and they claimed that he gave more time to Irish politicians than to their prime minister, Rishi Sunak. And then they went on that he did not go on a walkabout in Belfast, unlike in Carlingford and Dundalk. And the fact that he is spending three days in the Republic, one presenter last night on a UK television channel said he spent 16 hours in Belfast and most of that was asleep. And then they went on to reference the Black and Tans comment we just played there. Uh, But I don't think this was planned because they had a a kind of a panel on one of these TV shows. It was an ex-politician was on this panel and then he went on to explain about the Black and Tans and what they did in Ireland and as I said that wasn't really planned so they moved on fairly swiftly after that but it it did seem like jealousy was setting in but then how many other countries say Ireland punches above its weight as many would love to get this exposure of the US president visiting the country along with American media then which is shining Ireland into homes right across the states. Your views are welcome on that I'm not sure if anybody was watching UK TV last night if you dipped into that and and came across that, but I was a bit taken back the way that they were covering uh, the presidential visit in that light. It was just a, a type of jealousy that he was spending more time with the Irish uh, and not with the British. And many felt that he was a nationalist and, and not a friend of the UK, where he is saying he was. And he was there in Belfast to listen. And you can see why uh, the divide is there at the moment. There's no assembly in Stormont. And if he said anything out of place... Uh, then that could have a, a knock-on effect on what is happening in the North. So you can see why he didn't want to get too involved or anybody uh, doesn't want to get too involved uh, with what is happening in the North when you're not solely involved. Uh, so we'll, we'll wait and see what else comes out from that. But overall, it's a positive visit, it would seem, for Ireland. And today uh, he will be in Dublin meeting the our own President, Michael D. Higgins, at around 11 o'clock and then going on addressing the houses of the Oireachtas later uh, this afternoon, I think from around 3 or 4 o'clock and then tomorrow he'll be on to Banna in Mayo where there'll be a huge showdown. Uh, other news though this morning that we have come across and we have heard how this week the government has announced two new special schools to be established for the coming academic year. This is in Carrick Tool is one of them, another in Dublin. But now there's calls for a special school for the North Cork area. Uh, there's areas in Mitchellstown are being identified and there's a lot of areas whereby they're at full capacity uh, where they need a school like this. There's been a massive campaign underway and as you would have heard on this show uh, for a special school to be based in West Cork. The location there was Dunmanway. Uh, we did speak to a number of the Cork South West deputies on this. We even asked them on air if they'd all come together and fight for this and they said they would. And the latest we had, their plans were underway for this in Dunmanway and it was going to the next stage. Now, I'm not too sure how far it's gone but when the parents were on asking this a few weeks ago, uh, we were told that it is uh, in a, not a planning process but plans are well underway for this to be located in Dunmanway. So we'll have to wait and see what happens but of this carrying tool anyhow in the East Cork area uh, there is going to be uh, a special school located there uh, and we'll have to wait and see if more will come to the many areas of Cork who need that due to the growing of populations and very finally there's uh, we don't have a guard file today on the show and this is due to uh, many of our guardie here in Cork who are travelling to Dublin today 
and to help their colleagues on the East Coast uh, with the uh, presidential visit. But just something I want to highlight to you, it's uh, making the front page of The Echo and it's Sergeant Brian McSweeney from Cork City speaking to Sarah Horgan. It's, he's the crime prevention officer in the city. And for those maybe who have to leave their homes, maybe due to what's going on with the eviction uh, ban being lifted and many uh, landlords selling their homes, uh, be careful because while there is a housing crisis, uh, the scam artists, of course, are very aware of this. And many people, what's happening is that they're going going on websites and maybe they're not getting lucky with the usual websites such as Daft and others. Uh, But what's happening then is they're going on foreign websites and they're sourcing properties, but these properties don't even exist or more so the properties do exist and people turn up and it's already a house share. You might have four people living there and they're going, sorry, who are you? The landlord didn't you know, approve this. So just be careful. A lot of scams out there and stick to those websites that you know and trust rather than those. Many of them foreign websites which are claiming to be offering accommodation in the Cork area. Lines open 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103.ie. Today on C103. Cork County Council, one of the biggest local authorities in the country, has paid out more than 5.6 million euro in compensation related to injuries sustained on footpaths over the past four years. The figures were obtained under Freedom of Information by Cork East Labour Deputy Sean Sherlock, who now joins me. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, John Paul. Firstly, what prompted you to go and get these figures? Like every politician, I think, in the country at the moment, John Paul, uh, we're all concerned about the degradation of footpaths, no matter where we go, and the lack of resources that are being provided to local authorities uh, to uh, fulfil proper footpath programmes. So uh, you're always curious about the fact that uh, when you see a a footpath or a portion of footpath that you've uh, you know, identify as being dangerous or where somebody like a constituent of yours comes to you and says, look, there's a dangerous footpath there. It prompts the question about, you know, how much is being paid out in claims uh, on, you know, injuries on footpaths alone. And that prompted the FOI request to answer your question. But the, the figures that came back are, are absolutely astounding because in the last four years alone, over 5.6 million euros has been paid out by Cork County Council. Uh, to settle claims. So, for instance, in 2020, uh, on 69 claims throughout the country, 1.6 million was paid out. Uh, In 2022, you know, there were 46 claims and it was 1.2 million paid out. And if you take 2021, it's 42 claims and less than a million paid out. So it's, they're quite astounding figures when you think about it. And you wonder then whether, you know, if all of that 5.6 million was pumped back into actually repairing footpaths, would that be a better use of of monies? Now, we know that you pay your premium if you're a local authority uh, and the insurance company pays out on the claims. But it does beg the question as to whether or not enough resources are being provided to local authorities to be able to do proper footpath programmes. And what I've noticed uh, in in latter years in particular uh, is that... uh, you're trying to spread a, a finite amount of money across wider geographical areas, across these municipal areas. And, you know, the towns in particular uh, are, are not winning in that, I suppose, where you had town councils previously, they had their own budget for footpaths. 
but now that has to be spread across a wider geographical area through the municipal areas and in fairness rural areas are benefiting benefiting from that and that's no harm at all but i do think that there needs to be a change in policy at national level at central government level to ensure that more money flows down into local authorities so that there's a better spend on footpaths and the figures you mentioned there, I mean, the amount paid out in compensation, that they are huge figures and, and rightly so, the money could be put to better use in fixing and repairing the footpaths rather than paying out for their failings. But we always hear about roads that the money coming from central government isn't enough to deal with the roads here in Cork because of the geographical nature of the county. Is it so the same for footpaths for Cork County Council? I, I think you could draw the same analogy. I, I have sympathy for every county councillor in the county because there will never be enough money uh, to be able to do the footpath program that needs to be done in a given area no matter where you live in the county because the allocations are just too small so whereas before you might have been able to do a lot more do longer stretches at a time on a footpath program on a multi-annual footpath program but now what you know area engineers are left doing is small portions of long footpaths on an annualized basis and that's not sustainable either but as i say i have sympathy for people you know in local authorities who are trying to you know uh, it's a bit like you know the well i, I was going to use the analogy of the loaves and the fishes but that, it would be the reverse of the loaves of the fishes where you're trying to do uh, a, a lot more with a, a lot less money uh, and that's very challenging and I, I it comes back to the core point about the allocation from central government uh, and you know, we've noticed a significant diminution uh, in, uh, you know, towns and villages and in rural areas in the quality of footpaths uh, because of the lack of a throughput of monies to be able to keep them repaired, keep them up to a certain standard. Uh, and, you know, we, we're calling on government essentially to allocate more funding. I think that's the bottom line here. Outside of the funding issue, have we a situation whereby footpaths are not being maintained because it goes back to the lack of outdoor workers? Uh, well, I, I think once you put down a footpath, the footpath should sustain itself for uh, you know a, a lengthy period of time. They should be relatively low maintenance anyway. Uh, but what I have found is that where you're doing a, a footpath and you can only do a section of a footpath because but because of budgetary constraints then you know one part of a footpath becomes more dilapidated than another or more damaged than another and i think that's where a lot of the claims probably arise from where somebody is stepping on to or is walking on a footpath you have a, a, a relatively good thoroughfare for a portion of your journey then you uh, arrive at uh, you know a footpath that probably hasn't been upgraded or replaced in quite a number of years and that's where the challenge lies, I think, for local authorities. Uh, and I don't think you can, I have, like, it, it's easy to blame the local authority, and it would be very easy for me to be populist on this. But I think if local, local authorities, if they were given more monies, they would do a lot more with those monies to ensure that more footpaths would be done. I've no doubt about that. That's based on my own experience of talking to area engineers and, co and you know, liaising with my own councillors, Carl Rasmussen and James Kennedy and, and Cork County Council, you know, conversations like that that take place on a daily basis. But there is a big issue here in relation to proper access to a public thoroughfare for people with uh, for people with disabilities, for 
uh, maybe older people, and I'm not being ageist when I say that, but maybe where if somebody needs a walking aid, for instance, uh, and you know where as we all get older, we are more prone to falls. That's just a fact of life as we age, uh, and so therefore we want to ensure that where you have a built environment where there's a large number of people walking in a town or a village or wherever that is, you want to ensure that the investment in the footpaths are such that those footpaths are fit for purpose uh, and, and that you don't have to pay out claims of in the order of 5.6 million in four years, over four years. I mean, that is, you know, without being verbose about it, that is an astronomical uh, amount of money. Everyone is encouraged to walk today and many are saying this morning, how can you if the footpaths are falling apart? You touched there on disabilities and we've had people who have contacted us before, wheelchair users and also parents with buggies who get very frustrated and rightly so, Sean, if they can't get around on the footpath. Many have to leave the footpath onto a busy roadway to access the path again because it's either falling apart or it's just not there. Yeah, uh, my biggest gripe is is on behalf of people with disabilities uh, where, you know, if you take your typical town now or village, you do not have a seamless, uh, we'll say, a seamless pathway for people uh, and, and uh, safe pathways for people. And it's down to the piecemeal nature which uh, it, jobs are done on repairs. And again, if there was more resources, you know, you could have a proper fit for purpose, uh, buggy friendly, wheelchair friendly, uh, accessibility friendly footpath and people are entitled to that people are entitled to be able to walk wherever they need to be able to walk where there is a footpath unimpeded or without actually risk to life and limb uh, and i suppose i have personal experience of pushing a buggy um because i'm still at that stage where you know i have found it challenging at times to negotiate the public thoroughfare so I have first-hand experience of that. And I just feel sorry for people who, uh, you know, have impediments or disabilities or accessibility issues because, you know, we, ha we have to look after those people as well. And that's why I think ultimately what we need is an increase in core funding so that more footpaths can be done because you, we all see at first hand the benefit of a good footpath. It does increase uh, the numbers of people that are walking from their homes into town, we'll say, for instance, or using, you know, village thoroughfares for nighttime walks and uh, weekend walks and so on and so forth. And and therefore, we just have to keep keep on pushing for an increased allocation for Cork County Council uh, uh, to, to ensure that we get more footpaths done so that you take take away the, the compensatory culture. Uh, and when I say compensatory culture, I'm sure there are, you know, very legitimate reasons why somebody might uh, you know, uh, sue, for want of a better expression, the local authority if they have uh, incurred an injury. Uh, but we just need to ensure that those numbers uh, come downwards. So if you take the 2020 figures where you've 69 claims and the total amount paid out is 1.6 million, like that's an extraordinary amount of money for one year alone even. Yeah, it's a huge and, amount and of money. You mentioned compensation there. Are we gone though into that type of culture, a compo culture nation? Well, I, I, I don't want to, like, I, if I say yes to that, then that suggests that everybody that's put taken a claim against a local authority is doing so just for the purposes of seeking compensation. But we are a very litigious com uh, country. Uh, we're, we're extremely litigious when it comes to uh, suing uh, for 
uh, you know, for breakages or for injury. And that's just part of the culture that exists. Uh, and, you know, where there are catastrophic uh, injuries, you know, there's always a genuine case to be made, uh, you know, for for such claims. Uh, without actually going into the, you know, we would have to dig down into the 69 people's circumstances, but you have to make the assumption that people do it on balance for genuine reasons where there is an injury, where there's a, a loss uh, of limb possibly, or loss of use or whatever that is, there may have been a loss of earnings, you know, and so on as a result of the injury. But the, the fundamental point here, I think, is that if we have proper footpaths in the first instance, you significantly reduce the risk of injury, thereby reducing the risk of people, uh, you know, taking actions against local authorities. Uh, and I don't know how many of these were settled in court, and I don't know how many of these were settled out of court because we don't have access to the actual, uh, the, the, the extent of the figures there. We only have the headline figures of 69 paying out, uh, you know, 1.6 million. We don't actually, we, uh, we don't have a drilling down of, 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 of each and every one of those cases. So it's very hard to know which are genuine and which aren't. Well, we'll see if the central government will provide more funding to the local authorities across the country uh, in time. But before I let you go, Sean, today a very historic day uh, with the President Joe Biden addressing the houses of the Oireachtas. Uh, that's later today and you'll be there for that. Yes, and uh, I think as the event draws nearer, uh, I have to say that I, I feel incredibly privileged to be a member of the Dáil at a time when there is a visit uh, by a US president. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to actually being in the chamber and listening to what Joe Biden has to say. Uh, I, I, his links and his love uh, of Ireland, uh, you know, don't need explaining by me. I think we are, we're all very much aware of that. Uh, and I think there's a great respect for the fact that he was one of those grafters who came up through the Senate, became president, did the the ground hurling in places like Scranton, his hometown. Uh, and, you know, he did he did very well. He rose rose to the, the, the top of the political uh, heights. And, you know, so it's 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 a wonderful privilege to be able to represent the people of Cork East in the chamber tomorrow uh, as a, 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 and, and witness a US president who has definitely reaffirmed his commitment to the peace process and to the Good Friday Agreement and to economic development north and south. And his visit yesterday, I think, to Belfast and his speech at the university in Belfast, uh, you know, was very much reminding people of the USA's commitment to the island of Ireland and of the peace process, which we should never take for granted. Uh, and, you know, in this decade of commemorations. We remember our history as proud Republicans as we are, but we also remember that it's important that we have to have friends both West and East. And I think Joe Biden's visit today and his speech today, I'd say, will speak of the deep links between the United States of America and Ireland and hopefully the continuing relationship and embedding even further that relationship. Because it's so vital. If you take our county of Cork, if you take the number of US-based firms that are in Ireland, uh, if you take the importance of US companies to 
the Irish landscape and the amount of jobs that they provide and the amount of uh, Irish people who have r rose up the ranks of those US companies to become global leaders in their own headquarters in places like San Francisco and New York and places like that and, and Seattle. And, and so those links are very important. So a visit of this nature, while uh, it's largely symbolic, it does reinforce that relationship and that's always worth doing. So I can't wait to hear what he has to say today and I'm immensely proud to be a TD, a member of the Oireachtas at a time when there is a US president because it's a once in a lifetime, a once in a generation uh, visit as far as I'm concerned personally and I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to be to be a part of it. Certainly a historic day today and Sean, uh, thank you for joining us ahead of that this morning. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. That's Corky's Labour Deputy, Sean Sherlock. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. Can you talk to me? Cork today on C103. And a lot of comments in with regards to the state of footpaths right across Cork City and County. I'll get to those shortly. But a motion brought before Monday's full council meeting by the Fine Gael grouping received support from all councillors on increasing the grant rates given for refurbishing vacant properties. Councillor John Paul O'Shea rose that motion. He joins me this morning. Good morning to you, John Paul. Good morning, John Paul, and good morning to your listeners. And just outline, first of all, this scheme and the current rates that are on offer. Yes, well, the, the, the current scheme is called the Cree Cunnison Scheme. So it was launched last year and it was only available at that time, John Paul, um, to cities and large towns. And that was subsequently um, broadened out um, late last year and is now um, available to all houses in the countryside as well. Um, so Cork County Council has been receiving a number of applications um, from cities, uh, from the towns and the villages right across County Cork, but also in the rural areas now. So we've seen a, a great take-up uh, in the grand scheme. Uh, but one of the main feedback is a lot of our vacant and derelict houses that we're trying to get back into the stock and into the system. Um, it takes a lot more, um, I suppose, effort and, and, and value uh, to bring them back into the system. So for a vacant house um, that's vacant just over two years, you get a grant of €30,000, which is non-repayable, uh, to get the house back up and operational uh, and into a, into a permanent use. And if the house is derelict, it's, um, that grant is up to €50,000. Um, but what we're seeing back is some of the costings are coming back for a lot of the houses um, uh, are, are coming in in excess of 70, 80 or maybe even €100,000 because they're so derelict. Many of our derelict uh, houses, you can see yourself, Sean Paul, throughout our uh, towns and villages right across uh, County Cork need huge work. Many of them don't have bathrooms. Many of them don't have fire uh, safety works done. Many of them don't even have a back door in them. So there's a lot of work needed in a lot of properties. And the feedback we're getting from our constituents is that the grant should be upped um, by €20,000. So for a vacant house, it would be up to €50,000. And for a derelict house, it would be a grant of up to €70,000. Um, that wouldn't be suitable for all properties, obviously, but if there was a need for that funding, at least it would be there. And obviously the cost from the likes of timber and all supplies has increased over the last year or two, and that is leading then for you calling on the increased grant available. We've had a number 
number of people who have gone for this grant over the last year or so and many of them why they welcome the grant the big issue they have is they're waiting on a council engineer report for roughly around three months and while the council engineer has been on site they are still waiting for this report have you heard anything on on your side on this and are people are the people in this situation we did get on to Cork County Council on this they did give us a statement that outlines what you just said there but they don't comment on individual applications yeah, so I suppose it's all about resources, John Paul. I suppose when this thing was set up last year, it was only going to be for um, or larger towns and larger villages. And then it was expanded to all towns and villages. And now it's expanded to the rural areas. And as of the 1st of May, I think it's going to be expanded to anybody that is involved in, in a rental market. So if you're a landlord of one house and you what you want to do it up and rent it back out into the rental market, that is now going to be eligible for the Creek Honiter Fund. Um, so uh, the chief executive and the housing uh, section and the um, uh, activation unit, property activation unit, have put in extra staff in the last number of weeks uh, to cater for the increase in volume of activity um, that is going to come down the track. And we can see it because, like, as councillors, our phones are busy with this, we're sending out the application forms and there is more staff being appointed and I'm sure um, those letters of approval will be coming. And in most cases, John Paul, um, when the engineer does visit, he gives them an indication of, of, of it being approved for whatever element, whether it's 30,000 or 50,000 at the time. So it's only a kind of a formality that the letter comes, but I'm sure that um, that, that does come and will come. So maybe is it time for the council now, because there's a high interest uh, of of interest in this, uh, to employ more engineers? Would that be the way to go? Yeah, and we have them employed. So like they're, they're, we have technicians and engineers within our service here in Cork County Council and um, uh, extra resources um, have been employed. Uh, extra administration has been applied uh, as well, uh, John Paul, to deliver those applications quicker. So what we're encouraging people to do is get the application in, make sure all the applications filled out correctly before it comes in and because there's certain documentation needed, whether it's you own the property, proof of ownership, photographs of the current property, etc. Like so just to make sure when people are applying that they fill out the form correctly and it will help speed up the process. And for the likes of listeners that have contacted us who were saying you know, they're waiting three months for, for this and they want to because you can't go ahead and start the works until you've got the grant otherwise you won't get the grant. Is that correct? Yes. So like I mean but if there's anybody that has um, been waiting I think to contact the local the, the office there's a direct number in the, where the Creek Honester Fund is being um, uh, processed through or contact one of their local representatives and we'll try and get this bidded up but I certainly I've been involved in a number of them myself John Paul in my own area in Kentrick Mallow uh, and the process has been a lot less than three months And I know we mentioned the current rates there for vacant property and then a different rate for a derelict property uh, it was Councillor Seamus McGrath also mentioned this at the meeting would one flat rate not be better uh, rather than having, you know, different rates for derelict or vacant? Yeah, I think, like, I suppose there seems to be a lot of, um, I suppose, miscommunication in relation to it. Um, uh, I suppose, like, we're open to it. Um, We've been fighting as a council uh, for the last number of years to have a grant like this put in place. I'm delighted that, um, you know, it is now in place because, John Paul, most of our work is dealing with dereliction in our towns and villages. And there's a, a plan being put in place by government. This has been rolled out by the local authority. Uh, but we want to see as me- as much uh, spent on our towns and villages in terms of dereliction in the next couple of years. So we would encourage everybody to look into the grant and to see if they're eligible for it and to apply and while you have seen an uptake where you are there in your area, and I'm, I'm sure others are, are seeing the same, uh, do you expect when you go now back and write to the Housing Minister that there will be an increase from central government for this? 
Well, I think, you know, there will be a review, um, and I think it's a three-month review of the scheme and that has been committed by the Minister for Housing. And, you know, so I think, like, in the next review, I think it's important that we put it out there um, that there is additional costs. So, like, if we have a, a, a vacant or derelict property in the town of Kenturk, where I come from, John Paul, and it's going to take in excess of 100,000 euros to, to get it back in, in, into uh, operation, well, then, and if the finances aren't there for these people, we have to help out these people. We're not saying give 70,000 to every house. Where it's a grant of up to seventy thousand euros. So if it only costs thirty or forty thousand euros, well, then that, that's what it will cost. But if there's an additional cost for for very direct properties, well, then you know we need to start those out as well. And if this does go ahead, then it's every council across the country, I'm sure, then will will see the increase as well. So have you heard from the likes of those in Kerry County Council or, or Limerick City and County Council who are also looking to increase their rates? Yes. Well, I've been in touch with many of our Fine Gael colleagues that are right across the county, particularly in Kerry and Limerick and Waterford, and they're seeing the same thing we are, and that a lot of people are coming back saying that to, to actually renovate um, the derelict properties is costing a lot more than €50,000 currently. So, as I said, uh, that feedback is, is coming through right across the country. Well, we'll wait and see what happens. I suppose the positive out of this is people are looking at this grant and derelict and vacant properties will be hopefully done up in the next while and maybe offered out for rent for the moment. Uh, John Paul, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you very much indeed. That is Councillor John Paul O'Shea and your views are welcome. Maybe you're one of those looking to go along and take this grant from the government if it is an offer and if the rates do go up. I mean, certainly from those we have heard from, the big issue is, and I know it's resources, but it's waiting for that engineer report and some people that have contacted us are waiting for over three months. Anyhow, views are welcome. 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. It's JP on Cork today until one. Bernie taking your calls. 0818103103 for your comments or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. On the way, we're going to hear how the cost of living and housing crisis is dominating the teaching conferences being held across this week. We'll speak with the INTO shortly who deal with the primary schools right across our country. But first of all, we spoke earlier to Deputy Sean Sherlock and this was regarding figures released to him under the Freedom of Information Act and it showed how Cork County Council has paid out more than 5.6 million euro in compensation in relation to injuries sustained on footpaths just over the last four years. Many saying uh, the money that is paid out on compensation could be put to use by investing in these footpaths rather than their failures. Well, Tom uh, lives in Bantry. He lives in the estate in the Reen East area of Bantry. He says there's a walkway going through this estate and the footpaths are in a scandalous condition. People have to go onto the road and the road is very narrow so it is dangerous to walk there in the first place and uh, another person on the footpath says JP clearly the solution here is an increase in the tax take uh, regarding and via the local property tax so increasing the tax take from the local property tax to work on the footpaths and improve their conditions. Thank you for your text. And Tim is in Cork City. Tim says, when is the council going to keep the cyclists off the footpaths? It is a problem all over the city. A lot of them are delivery people or delivery drivers and some of these bikes are electric. Someone will get killed. Uh, Thank you, Tim. And I've seen that as well. And sometimes you kind of ask is it safer that they're on the footpaths because you have cycle lanes that just stop all of a sudden? There isn't cycle lanes everywhere across the city. And then 
if you're cycling on narrow streets and there's a car trying to go into another lane to overtake the person on the bike that is cycling, it can lead to either an accident or a near miss. So sometimes they are safer on the footpaths, but then are they causing damage to the footpaths? And as you say, then you have pedestrians uh, on the footpaths, runners uh, using the footpaths and someone could get injured or killed, as you uh, put it there, Tim, in Cork City. Uh, and maybe we just need more cycle lanes but then some will argue against that and I think it is illegal actually to be on a footpath with a bike even though it can be a lot safer in Cork City uh, to be on the footpath with a bike rather than on the roadway uh, thank you for your call Tim uh, and the answer to that many would say would be more cycle lanes but then with the increasing traffic in the city and we don't have a public transport network we do with buses but we need uh, something like a Lewis I suppose in Cork at this stage to deal with the uh, amount of people commuting in and out of the city uh, so what, what the answer there will be uh, at the moment, it looks like people will still use the footpaths, even though they should not for cycling, but it is a safer option. But thank you for your uh, call, Tim, on that. Uh, people are paying tax for the cars, says this person on WhatsApp, but the driver is not getting value for money. The road and footpaths need to be and should be done, uh, says that person on WhatsApp. But another person on text saying, I listened with interest to Deputy Sean Sherlock speak on your programme this morning on the subject of broken footpaths. It may be correct to say that more funding is required from the central funds, but it is also has to be acknowledged that there has been poor planning and governance on the part of local authorities. For example, we have seen a disproportionate widening of footpaths right across areas in the city, for example, along Penrose Wharf, or indeed Patrick's Key, resulting in the reduction of driving lanes. This in turn creates a virtual car park on the road and is detrimental to the environment. Surely those funds could have been better spent on the existing broken footpaths. Uh, That's a good point from that texter. I mean, they have widened those and that is to have more footfall in the city and... Uh, have accessibility to those who wish to walk in and around the city centre and that they can access uh, footpaths rather than crossing roadways and reduce the traffic then in the city centre. That's the main thing uh, for this is reducing people driving into the city centre. It's happened in many other cities across the world. The only thing is that those cities have a public transport network. We don't in Cork. Yes, we have uh, buses, but buses can get stuck and do uh, get stuck in traffic uh, even on my way here to the studios this morning. Uh, where I lived as a bus stop actually in our housing estate but two buses had arrived and people then were waiting further down uh, the route waiting for a bus and in huge crowds around uh, maybe 6.40 this morning that can only have six or so uh, who were waiting for the bus because obviously the first bus was late and then two arrived but it had a knock-on effect but was it traffic? Possibly could have been uh, traffic and traffic is still heavy even though it is a week of midterm and you would think it would be lighter there is still traffic around and because of that the buses are caught in the traffic so that's not really you know, a good enough example to say well you can use the bus if the bus isn't arriving on time not the bus driver's fault not bus errands fault either it's the design of the city like you mentioned so yeah I mean they, they have widened those footpaths they were going to and the one that really caught us and it's not going ahead now was Summer Hill North where they were going to reduce the size of that footpath and that is a busy area area uh, for people walking but they are going to leave that as it is now and that's not being changed. Uh, your views are welcome yeah, regarding that. Are they better off instead of widening all these footpaths just look after the existing ones and fix them rather than widening them uh, and as you say then when you look at our environments you have a car park in many of our city centre keys as there's no way around and then Councillor Declan Hurley was tuned in listening to that discussion on footpaths and he says Cork County Council may be one of the largest local authorities but he says we're also one of the poorest local authorities 
authorities. We got the third lowest allocation of funding for roads in this year's roads funds. He said Sean and needs to get the government to increase the local government fund, which uh, they are pushing to uh, central government to increase funding for uh, local authorities on roads and footpaths. And Declan says they need this to repair our footpaths and roads. We are paying out more in compensation than we're investing in repairs, uh, says Councillor Declan Hurley. And then as we were discussing that, uh, Denise is uh, in West Cork somewhere, but she is saying, can you ask Sean Sherlock about the roadworks in Dunmanway? Uh, Denise says they started last August, but how long more it is, is it envisaged that they will continue in Dunmanway? So Denise, well, Sean is based in Cork East, but we did ask Councillor Declan Hurley, who is based in Dunmanway on this. And Declan says that there's no definite end of date on these roadworks in Dunmanway, but he's been told that they are aiming to be finished by the end of May and the footpaths are being done at the moment on that street and then the street will be resurfaced next so the end is in sight uh, but it could be the end of May before those roadworks finish but again no definite end date on that so hopefully that helps you there Denise uh, who obviously does commute or is in and around the Domanway area uh, but keep the end of May in mind anyhow and something we're going to discuss later in the show and this follows on from our discussion yesterday and this was to do with animal cruelty and how dog uh, bypasser alerted them to alert your dog that was lying on a roadside was badly injured and unfortunately passed away from his injuries and then this morning we find out that the another animal welfare group My Lonely Horse Rescue uh, they received a video and Gardaí are actually looking into this and indeed they are appealing for witnesses as well this was in the Bishopstown area whereby last Friday a man was washing his car power hosing his car and then he decided to power hose uh, a very frightened dog as well at the car wash and within not a mind the force of the water from those power hoses the chemicals within them uh, that he laid on that dog and it looked like the dog was either tied or caught to the back of that car anyhow Gardier investigating we will speak with uh, my lovely horse Charity Rescue later in the programme after midday but Heidi saying good morning JP I'm so very sick of hearing this and how some people think they have a God-given right to treat pets and all animals in an inhumane way I did say before that I have eaten emailed the Justice Minister at the time about bringing in stronger penalties for utterly cruelty to animals says Heidi while Anne says oh John Paul I'm just really upset this morning after hearing what you said about that poor dog who was being power hosed can you imagine how painful that would be where does that sick monster live that did this to the dog he should get the same treatment done to him there is such sick monsters out there I hope there aren't any children in the house where that person lives uh, says Anne on WhatsApp to 0862103103 we'll discuss that more later after midday and indeed Gardi are taking that seriously and uh, investigating that and are looking for witnesses but more later in the programme on that and then Joe Biden's visit uh, which we discussed also earlier this morning uh, a juror is in Middleton and we did mention the fact that the White House had to come out and basically say that he's not anti-British because I suppose of his love for Ireland many Unionists in the North felt and Arlene Foster uh, did come out and she felt that he was anti-UK the White House has said he is not and while he was in Belfast he did not want to say too much so that he wouldn't upset uh, what is happening up there regarding getting everybody back to the table in Stormont he did meet with Rishi Sunak the British Prime Minister 
and that was going to be a short meeting and the UK Prime Minister uh, Mr Sunak did say that to UK TV yesterday and he also outlined that he only met uh, the President of the United States very recently and indeed five times over the last few months so more or less saying we didn't need to be having a big conversation again Uh, but because of that there was a lot of anti-UK sentiment in some parts of the UK yesterday because of the visit and then of course the fact he's spending more time in the Republic than Northern Ireland anyhow outside of all of that Ger reacting to this in Middleton who uh, Ger feels and he thinks and this is Ger's view now that Joe Biden is anti-British he said his grandfather had to immigrate during the famine and Ger feels watching Joe Biden that he is in favour of a 32 county Ireland and that's Ger's in Middleton view there Joe Biden hasn't said that really that he you know he wants United Ireland why it has been looked at in some quarters at the moment but on that uh, there has been a survey taken in Northern Ireland by Northern Life and Time survey and it has revealed that two thirds of people say Brexit has made a united Ireland more likely. Seven out of ten in that survey think the Good Friday Agreement remains good for Northern Ireland though a majority now think it should be reformed. And Professor Katie Hayward who analysed the report, she says the findings about a border poll point to a significant shift since the UK left the EU. Here's what she says. One really interesting finding um, from this survey is a quite a significant shift. So in the past, we've asked, you know, will a United Ireland be likely in 20 years? Is the United Kingdom likely to exist in 20 years? Before, it was always the United Kingdom more likely to exist than the United Ireland. And now for the first time, we've seen quite a significant shift. So a change in the way of thinking there in Northern Ireland following that survey, uh, which was uh, carried out there by Northern Life and Times. But uh, this was back in 2017. I was in Strasbourg covering the European Parliament and at the time Brexit was going through. And I asked a Welsh MEP, and I can't think the name, his name off the top of my head, but I did ask him in a press conference, did he think following what was being said at the time and Brexit was uh, had been passed, could you see the breakup of the United Kingdom? And he openly said yes, that he could see that happening because he could see uh, things changing within Northern Ireland because of location and Scotland would follow on. And he felt that there would be a change whether Wales would then go with Scotland and Northern Ireland, but he felt that those that voted for Brexit didn't look at the bigger picture and that it would eventually lead to the breakup of the UK and that might not be he said for 10 or 20 years but it would happen all because of Brexit and that was a a Welsh MEP speaking to me back in 2017 at the European Parliament in Strasbourg staying on Joe Biden uh, somebody on WhatsApp saying it is interesting that Joe Biden's slip of the tongue re the black and tans has led to a learning opportunity about Irish history in the UK where many did not know about his frightening period or this frightening period in Ireland's history His reference meant that the media had to explain the atrocities that had been carried out here. And yeah, and I mentioned that on the panel discussion I saw last night on the UK television. They mentioned the black and tans, but I don't think they expected the politician or ex-politician that was on the panel to go into detail. And he really explained what it all meant. Anyhow, thank you for your WhatsApp. A lot of more calls and comments coming in. A lot of farmers who have been in touch with us yesterday and again today. We will get to those uh, comments as well. And this is to do 
with the delay in payments to farmers and we'll get to that later in the programme also but Eileen is in Banning College and she just wants to warn people about a scam and it's not a new scam but it is going around again and I hear a lot of people getting this text over the last few days it's the text to say that you've gone through a toll and that you've never paid the toll and you need to pay it and of course there's a link but don't click on the link because if you click on the link they'll look for your bank details and of course then they take money out of your bank they're also now saying Eileen or Ellen sorry in Banning College is saying they're are looking uh, to take it to court so they say if you don't pay uh, in time the text uh, that she received says you now will be taken to court so thank you uh, Ellen in a balling colleague and just be aware uh, that text claiming uh, that you have driven past the toll and you haven't paid uh, it is a scam and just be aware of that and there's been warnings about that as well over the last while but now a new addition to the text seems to be that they are going to take you to court on the way we will speak uh, to the INTO and what teachers are looking for following their conferences held this week. And also, uh, before midday, our soccer correspondent Trevor Welch will join us and we'll hear more about Ireland and the UK's bid for Euro 2028. Along with your calls and comments to Bernie on 0818 103 103, text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. A coffee shop attendee is required for the Clonakilty Park Hotel in Clonakilty. You can apply by email to mcarolyn at clonakiltyparkhotel.ie. A sales assistant is required for O'Flynn's Footwear in Mallow. Email your CV to o'flynnfootwearjobs at gmail.com. And Cronin's Hardware in Ballylicky require two store assistants to work three days per week. Good flexibility is needed to work between Monday and Saturday. And knowledge of agri and construction products will be be an advantage you can email your CV to marketing at cronenshardware.ie these jobs and more online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs you're listening to c103's cork today podcast phone and text lines are currently closed email patricia now with your story or comment cork today at c103.ie Cork Today on C103. Keeping teachers in their profession and the cost of living and pay are the four discussions at teaching conferences which are underway across this week. And Deirdre O'Connor is Deputy General Secretary of the INTO and joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Deirdre. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine and thanks for joining us and and a busy week for you. Uh, One of the issues we keep hearing about here on our phones from teachers are those who are living in our cities, be that Cork or Dublin, and work in these areas. And I suppose in particular Dublin more so, given the high cost of accommodation, even though it's high enough here in Cork. And we hear it as well from others in the public sector, such as Gardaí. And interesting enough, it came up in your uh, conference this week because I was thinking of the different levels of pay you'd see in other countries. For example, in London, some public servants are paid higher uh, than in other areas of England, let's say if they're based in Leeds or Manchester. Is that something that the INTO and other unions will be looking at here to see if you can bring in a different wage level similar to that we see in the UK? Well, um, it, it's, the, the, the issue of pay was kind of centre to our to our discussions at, at Congress, which finished up just yesterday, yesterday afternoon. Um Definitely, there the the impact of the housing crisis is being felt uh, in teaching and across the public sector, as you said. The availability of housing, the cost of rent, the cost of mortgage payments—it's become an increasingly different, difficult for public servants to live close to where they are required. You know, we need public servants, we need teachers um, in cities, and we need them to be able to, to to live there and to be able to afford to live there. So very much we were we were focusing on affordability, the cost of living for everybody. 
and also how we can incentivize particularly younger teachers you know to who are on lower lower wages how we can incentivize them to uh, to work in our high pressure rent pressure areas including our cities and you mentioned the housing crisis there and younger teachers. And if you are in maybe your late 20s and you have uh, left one of the teaching colleges, for example, Mary I in Limerick, and you go teaching and you do end up maybe in Kildare or Dublin. I mean, it's not the worst career. But then if you're in a situation where you can't get a house or the house is too high to rent, many people will look at this and go, maybe it's time to go somewhere else or, or, or change career. Yes, yeah, and I mean we we have we have two two things I suppose. One of them is that you know kind of teachers um, will exercise their you know kind of their choice to go perhaps to live back. Um, many you know kind of teachers who come from more rural areas, you know, there's work available for them back in 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 more rural areas, and they may choose to to migrate. We do have a, an issue of people moving from east to west. Um, in in the teaching profession, and then we also have uh, we also have the phenomenon of teachers who emigrate for a couple of years, and the primary reason that they tell us that they are out there is because they are trying to um, you know kind of to come back with with to be able to afford uh, to be able to afford housing. So I think there's two things in relation to those teachers who are abroad. One of them is incentivising them to come back through a proper promotional structure in schools. And, you know, kind of rewarding them for the experience that they have gained um, when they come when they come back um, in relation to. Uh, so, so that's, you know, kind of so that's a really important part of, of the supply of balance and the supply of teachers, because, look, I think it's no secret, you know, and it was well discussed at Congress that, you know, kind of the difficulties that principals have in accessing particular substitute teachers um, on a short term or an emergency basis when one of their staff is sick and the difficulties that that causes within schools in terms of children being divided up and going into other classes or the special education teacher being asked to, you know, kind of to teach that class for that day. So, you know, we do need to look at the supply of teachers and pay has to be a part of that. And parents are well aware of that and the disruption it can cause then across the school when uh, someone is sick and there's no sub available. Yeah. You mentioned there about those teachers who do take time out and go to uh, the UAE or Dubai and, and those areas. The Education Minister Norma Foley, she did say every effort has been made to try and get these Irish teachers back. But you mentioned promotion. Just explain about these vacant posts that remain in some schools, for example, the like of a, an assistant principal. And these are not filled. And maybe if there was more of these, those teachers may not want to leave or maybe come back and fill those posts? Yeah, I, well, I, I think it's not that those posts are not filled. It's that they were taken out of schools during the austerity period. So back in 2009, there were swinging cuts made to, um, to, promote, to promote promotional opportunities for teachers in schools. And those have not been fully restored. If they were fully restored, teachers would see they have a career path you know, so there's two steps of middle management. So if you go in at that level, you're there to provide support to the principal and the deputy principal, the management team of the school. And they're really important posts in terms of the kind of things the minister was talking about, you know, the initiatives about STEM and about digitalisation and curriculum reform. All that work in schools, you know, kind of coordinating that work is done by these people who have promoted posts. And, you know, kind of those really have to be restored. So we really welcomed the minister saying to us that she is willing to look at that and to look at how further ones of those posts can be can be put back into schools. 
And were you happy overall with what Minister Foley was saying at the conferences? Not only yours, but I'm sure you looked at others as well. She has said in many of the conferences this week uh, that the teaching profession is very attractive. Uh, and while she will do her best to address your issues, she still feels compared to other jobs, it is an attractive profession and that teachers are well looked after. Uh, I saw different signs on TV news and online that teachers in the room of the conference were holding up to her. Uh, do you feel she's a good education minister? Well, look, she was our guest at Congress and, you know, kind of, I think our, our members always treat our, our guests, you know, with, you know, with, we give them, the, we listen to them carefully and we did listen carefully to what Norma Foley has to say. And our General Secretary in responding did give, um, did give Minister Foley the credit that she deserves, for example, reducing class size by two further points. But uh, we, we, we're always very clear, look, we will thank the Minister for, you know, things that she has done, but we will always come with our further asks because there are always other asks in, in education. You mentioned class sizes there. Do you think that will actually happen given we have a growing population and you have a lot more now within your schools, a lot of refugees, of course, you have those fleeing the war from Ukraine within the classroom? The projections that the department made, which haven't turned out, I mean, due to the circumstances, haven't turned out to be accurate, you know, did indicate that there was going to be a falling number of children in primary schools. Now, that has been ameliorated somewhat by the fact that we now have, and, and, and you know, kind of, I mean, it's terrible circumstances for people from Ukraine and, and other people who are seeking international protection here. Um, that has kind of given the numbers back up. But, I mean, we don't see any reason why we can't offer those children, you know, the same class sizes, those children and, and, and watch all children in Ireland, why we can't offer them, you know, the European average class size, which is 20. So we need to go down two further points. Uh, you know, kind of, I, I think it is a realistic demand. I think it is realistic to say that we should have, that our children should have the same opportunities as children across Europe. And obviously then if we all know if you're in a, any uh, academic structure where you have less in a room, you tend to listen more or maybe ask more questions because there's less people around. So it will benefit students in the long run if that does happen. Uh, a number of calls and texts in here just regarding to what we've been discussing. Uh, Miriam is one of our listeners who was on to us earlier in the week also. And we mentioned about those uh, teachers who do leave Ireland, go to Dubai and come back, a lot of them to save and, and fund themselves to buy a house. Uh, but Miriam is asking teachers to take career breaks and maybe do go to Dubai. You have sub-teachers filling in for them and then when the teacher comes back after three or five years, that sub-teacher then will have to go elsewhere. Does that system need to change and would you look at maybe pausing career breaks for a while within the education sector and th- until the system calms down? Well, I think the, you know, kind of Miriam is making the point and, and you know, but I think what, what the problem is that the department has really failed to um, adequately estimate the number of teachers that are required in the system altogether. I mean, we know, for example, that a certain number of teachers are going to be on career break, a certain number of teachers are going to be on parental leave. These are things that are available, parental leave, maternity leave, you know, those kinds of statutory leaves that are available to all workers. And the department really hasn't taken the number of substitutes that are needed to uh, ensure that children have a qualified teacher. So I think, you know, the department has recently, and again, we welcome this, um, has has indicated that they are willing to fund 600 additional teacher education places. And that's fine, but those teachers won't be available for another, uh, at the very minimum, two years. So, um, you know, kind of, I think the department's plan. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. For teacher supply needs to improve and they need to take, there are some short-term measures that we believe this could still take, which would make a difference, like, for example, speed up the registration of teachers who are coming from abroad. And as we said, you know, kind of to to ensure that uh, teachers who want to come back feel that they, you know, kind of are going to be rewarded when they do come back. And as you mentioned, the department's got it wrong, more or less, and, and they haven't factored into the teachers that are needed for the entire year or a few years. So you are, you are short of teachers, but that is the department's fault. You know, it's not the teacher's fault. So if the department's your boss and if they feel there's not enough teachers in the country, should then there be a pause on those who just want to go away for a year and travel Australia and travel Asia and then come back again? Should that be paused and say to them, you, you, can't, you can't take a career break for the next three or four years once the system is up and running properly again then you can would you welcome that well at, at some stage during the year there was some indication that the minister was thinking uh, about this and i don't know where it came from because the department denied that they were thinking about this at all even um and obviously we responded uh we responded very negatively to that i mean career breaks are primarily a, a mechanism for retaining teachers or retaining anybody in their job. So it's a way of allowing people to go somewhere, but then to come back and to come back into that post. So no, we wouldn't be in favour of limiting of, of limiting career breaks. But even though there's a, a big problem at the moment within the teaching profession, there's not enough of them. So uh, even pausing it for a number of years, it is a luxury really in any job to be able to leave and come back to your post. So could they not give up that luxury just for two or three years? It was a hard one terms of term and condition that we negotiated for our teachers and, and uh, you know, kind of as, as are things like job sharing, which, you know, kind of which allow for flexibility. You have to remember as well, I think, that not all teachers who are on career break are doing what, what you know, what we've discussed, which is going mm. off, you know, kind of to travel. There are many people because of the high ch- cost of childcare who have to take career breaks to care for their families. And I think, you know, kind of we certainly couldn't countenance that, you know, there'd be any limit put on that. Yeah, and I'm just looking at text coming in here and I can totally understand the point you're making, I suppose, from the people listening. They're saying that every profession has that. But then would you say to them, go and get a union? I, I, 
I was, uh, that, uh, that's the point I was making. It was a hard one term and condition. And yeah. that's something we're very proud of, that we go and negotiate these things for our members. And I would commend people who feel that they haven't got good terms and conditions in their workplace to go and look about, you know, is there a union? Go and join a union. Go and get organised and, 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 uh, and put that in place. Very finally, on the pay issue, again, everybody wants more pay right across the public sector, right across the private sector, especially with the cost of living. Uh, Minister Foley, this was addressed to her at the various conferences. She has said uh, that you'll have to wait until after this pay agreement. There seems to be no change for this year. Are you happy with her response on that, given that so many others are are looking for payments as well, uh, not only in the private sector, but within the public sector? The Gardaí are looking for extra pay, civil servants are looking for extra extra pay and the government may not have that money. Well, we, we do accept that, you know, pay for public sector workers is best negotiated on a combined basis across the public sector, you know, kind of through the Public Services Committee of, of the Irish Congress of Trade Unions. And we do acknowledge that there is an agreement that is in place at the present time, which will run to the end of the year. But the negotiations for a successor to building momentum are due to start fairly shortly. And I think we have a good um, idea now what it is that we're going to be looking for when we go into, you know, speak to our colleagues in the next couple of weeks at the AGM of the Public Services Committee to say what it is that we, you know, kind of we would like to see addressed in any successor to building momentum. Okay, Deirdre, we have to leave it there. But uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you. That is the Deirdre O'Connor, who was Deputy General Secretary of the INTO. Your views are welcome. A lot of those coming in. I'll get to those shortly. 0818 103 103. Bernie taking your comments. You can text or indeed WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Well, it's a song we all associate with soccer and the final bid for Ireland to co-host Euro 2028. It has been submitted. If successful, the Aviva Stadium and the yet-to-be-renovated Casement Park in Belfast will be used. Our soccer correspondent Trevor Welch joins me. Good morning to you, Trevor. Morning, JP. Uh, This, of course, a joint submission between the Football Associations of Ireland, Northern Ireland, England, Scotland and Wales. It would be a huge boost if we got this one. A uh, massive uh, injection, really, for Irish football. And uh, it's great to hear the ole ole there put them on the pressure. <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh, because, uh, you know, it would be 40 years on, actually, from the first time that Ireland qualified for Euro 88 back in Germany. So 2028 would be 40 years on and uh, a new generation of Irish soccer fans. You know, we all remember uh, Ireland and Germany, you know, that uh, magical time to qualify for our first major finals. And then we went down on the jack to qualify for the World Cup 90 and 94. But, uh, you know, we've uh, struggled in recent times to qualify for the big tournaments, uh, JP. But, you know, it would be great to think that um, we would qualify automatically if we did have a successful bid with uh, the nations, as you mentioned, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and Ireland. It could mean that uh, Ireland could automatically uh, qualify for the 28-28 finals as host nation which would be huge for the FA, as you mentioned, on Irish football. That would be huge if they were able to swing that and qualify because the fear was that it would be held here in Ireland and we may not have qualified because how many soccer fans have gone to the Euros over the years? It's a huge event to go, but it's like a carnival atmosphere in the city that hosts. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I've been lucky enough to be at a few finals. I was at the World Cup uh, in Italy in 1990, USA in 1994. And it's absolutely huge. And, you know, the Irish 
the fans travel and they travel so well, you know, and in big numbers. Um, but uh, to be have it at our doorstep would be unbelievable for our soccer fans, uh, you know, to go to to the matches um, in in Dublin. Obviously, um, at the Aviva would be one of the venues. It was uh, widely suggested that Crow Park would be another one, but I'm hearing of late that um, UEFA ruled that um, if the city isn't big enough. Uh, you can't have two stadiums in the city, and they're deemed that Dublin isn't a big enough city to have two stadiums uh, for the European Championships, which is a big pity, really, because Club Park would have been great. It's been used for soccer in the past, as you well know. Uh, the only city, I think, um, in all the nations that will host it if it's successful will be London, because obviously that's big enough to have two, two, um, two stadiums. But uh, if, if I'm right in, my, uh, in, in what I'm saying, uh, we may not qualify automatically if there's um, if we don't have two stadiums in in Dublin. So that could go against us. You know, in all case, in parks to be mentioned, that usually needs a huge overhaul, and the British government have backed that with uh, an injection of cash. If the bid is successful, we're up against Turkey. Obviously, JP, uh, they're in the running as well to host the Turkey and the decision we made in September. But fingers crossed that Ireland, um, you know, will get the hosted. I know that the UK and Ireland turned away from potential bid to host the 2030 World Cup in 2022, uh, instead prioritising a bid to host uh, the 2028 Euros. And if it does come here, the Aviva Stadium, as we know, that would be renamed the Dublin Arena. And I see a lot of texts coming in asking, what about Cork? And there is no planned games for Cork. I don't know where they even include it because it's got something to do with, and Parky Cueve would be the obvious choice. Uh, mm. The terraces in Parky Cueve, that doesn't fit in with what UEFA wants. So one of the reasons maybe why Cork wasn't chosen. Yeah, and that's uh, that's a pity. As we've seen, you know, there's been a few events in Parkview. I saw the GA recently. You know, I was working, as you know, uh, as, as a commentator on the Liam Miller uh, tribute game uh, held a couple of years at the back, and um, there was a rugby match more recently uh, with, with Munster playing there, and a brilliant atmosphere it would be. It'll be brilliant to, see, to think that Parker Cueve will be, be one of the venues. It doesn't look like it um, from, from what I'm reading at the moment. Just the two stadiums. Uh, in Ireland, like one Northern Ireland, one in Ireland, the Viva, as you said, would be called the Dublin Stadium. I remember it's called that as well when you know the Viva hosted the Europa League final back in 2011, and the uh, Viva will host uh, the 2024 Europa League final as well, which would be uh, great for our soccer fans uh, to, to go and see. Also, you know, yeah, you were there. Were, were you commentating in that one in 2011? Yeah, um, it's the only obviously European final ever staged in this country. Uh, that was between two Portuguese sides back then, Porto and Braga. I was lucky enough to be, I suppose, the only Irish commentator to commentate on uh, the only Irish um, uh, staged European final in history, you know. But next year, it's, go- it's going to happen there again, 2024. And a few people asking here on WhatsApp, when we mention about the automatic qualification, would that mean then that all five countries would automatically qualify? So would we see England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland also uh, qualifying <laughs> if we do? Yeah, that's the question. I mean, from what I understand, Euro 2028 will remain a kind of a 2014 competition. UEFA, you know, um, decided against the expansion of 32 teams. I'm not sure how it's going to work. I think England will definitely qualify as a host because of the, the fact that they have um, two stadiums in um, in London and uh, they'll have a number of other stadiums like um, Manchester City's Etihad. I think Villa Park is going to be one of them. Old Trafford, funnily enough, won't be one of the stadiums used if they are successful. But I, I, I would imagine that England uh, will, will qualify automatically. Scotland, you know, they have a few stadiums as well in Glasgow. Um, you look at um, Hamden Park and 
Ibrox and Celtic Park, of course. But again, is it is it too small a city to have two stadiums? I'm not quite sure how that works. But I would say that um, England will definitely qualify automatically. It's up in the air whether Ireland, Wales, Scotland will qualify qualify automatically in Northern Ireland. And if we don't, if it is an automatic qualification, the big thing here is Ireland needs to qualify if it's going to be held at home turf. But also out of this, we know it will be a huge economic boost for the country, but also for grassroots level, because the FAI and others involved in this have said uh, there's going to be money gained from hosting this tournament if it, they do host this in Ireland. And that money then will be reinvested into the League of Ireland soccer and indeed the grassroots, which is something very welcome because grassroots and indeed the League of Ireland needs investment. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the I think the League of Ireland has been a problem child for the FAI for many years, you know, and uh, you see some of the grounds, even Dundalk's ground there, needs a big overall, and they have, they have backing, but the American owners don't seem to want to invest in the ground, but certainly it'd be a brilliant uh, cash injection should, uh, you know, the bid be successful for 2028. God knows League of Ireland grounds need it, and, and grassroots, we see a lot of, you know, Great players coming through um, the the underage Ireland system, such as uh, Evan Ferguson, 2018. He'd made his debut recently for the senior team. But uh, all round, it's going to be you know huge for Irish soccer if it, it is successful. As I mentioned earlier, you know a new generation of soccer fans to see the world's best players coming to 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 Ireland. You know to see these big matches. Yeah, it'll be great. And a decision on this is expected later this year. They reckon October or November we should know if indeed Ireland and the UK will host and co-host Euro 2028. Before I let you go, Trevor, I know you're on a commentary duty tonight with Virgin Media Television on the Europa League, which we mentioned. But this is the quarterfinal leg, of course, on tonight. It is, it is. Uh, I'm doing um, Roma against uh, Feyenoord, but Feyenoord are at home uh, to Roma, Jose Marino's Roma. Uh, the two of them met in the Europe uh, Conference League final last year. Roma narrowly winning that 1-0. Uh, should be a very interesting game indeed. Manu also in action tonight, of course, against uh, Sevilla. That'll be interesting too, but uh, I'll be on the commentary duties on that uh, fine art Roma match. Looking forward to it, I have to say, tonight. Very good, Trevor. Well, safe travelling and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks, JP. Take care. That is our soccer correspondent, Trevor Welsh. It's JP until one with Cork Today and Bernie taking your calls and comments on 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. You can email across the show or indeed anytime across the day. Cork Today at c103.ie is our email address. Uh, shortly, we're going to hear about that awful incident that occurred in Bishopstown uh, where a man uh, decided to power hose a dog uh, in a uh, a service station in and around the Bishopstown area whereby the dog either was caught or tied onto the back of the car but obviously the force of power from the water and the chemicals uh, did frighten that dog and not sure if he was injured or not we're going to speak with my lovely horse rescue uh, who are aware of this and will join us shortly on the programme and then our own vet Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket is along after 12.30 if you have a question for a pet in your household for Jane you can get that into us right now on those numbers I mentioned there Bernie taking those calls or indeed text or WhatsApp but a lot of calls and comments in on various issues we have been discussing across the show and this is going back to footpaths we discussed earlier on at the start of the programme 
and many people having mixed views on our our footpaths many saying they do need to be repaired and they're falling into repair and many not happy the fact that the council are paying out more than 5.6 million euro in compensation in relation to injuries sustained on Cork footpaths over the past four years the money could be put to better use to investing in these paths rather than paying out on their failings but then one person here saying the council jump hole is an easy target people look for holes and bad footpaths that they fall some where else but the hole in the green or the uneven footpath is great the council never go into court they pay out no matter what and people know this that's why they go after the council uh, says that person on text and then we spoke with the INTO and the INTO are one of the uh, two, three teaching conferences that are taking part right across the country in uh, Wexford, here in Cork and indeed in Killarney. And the majority of them are all looking for the same. Uh, they're all dealing with the cost of living and housing crisis that is dominating the teaching conferences. So many are looking for pay rises. And we spoke uh, with the INTO uh, before midday. And on that, a lot of people have different views. First of all, Paul says, don't worry about having to give teachers any wage increases. There's a great demand uh, for teachers. It's a well-paid job and there's a huge demand for teachers overseas. Immigrating teachers will reduce the burden on the private sector, which is what people want, uh, says Paul on text. And then another person here saying... John Paul, the teachers are ratted again. Everyone in the country is in the same boat. Their wages, the teachers' wages, that is, are very good. Uh, Their hours, though, are unbelievable compared to a normal worker. This person on text goes on to say they have three months off in the summer. They're only back and they have midterm, which for the life of this person, they don't understand what all that is about. Then they're off again at Christmas, again in February, again for St. Patrick's Day and around that time. Easter holidays, another two weeks off and then they're off again in the summer. And the whole process kickstarts again from September. Uh, That person questioning the holidays. While Anthony uh, says, fair play for teachers for fighting for their rights. But I do feel their holidays are too much. And similar to that person texting Anthony making the point that two weeks off for Easter was never like this. But then many got the extra day off after St. Patrick's weekend, but they were just back after a midterm in February. Some had three days or five days off. And then while schools close at the end of June, many know that the month of June is taken up with school sports. Now, I know it's not an easy day dealing with a room full of children, but when you're looking at the timetable from September to June, it is a lot of time off. And does this need to be looked at from the education department? Uh, thank you for your text, Anthony, on that. And I don't know how the uh, department would deal then with the unions who will say that is now in place and they're allocated so many days a year to work and then the schools or different uh, unions can decide what days and what weeks uh, an individual school will have off. That's the way it more or less works. But Anthony, thank you for your your text on that. Johnny uh, Din says, listening to that conversation, he would not be a teacher. Why? Dealing with the parents. He said that would be the worst, um, dealing with parents who feel their child is fantastic. They won't listen uh, to your child's needs or what you think your child should be doing. Uh, He couldn't stand it. So he has sympathy for teachers who have to deal with parents. That would be a nightmare, says Johnny on WhatsApp. And then Mary, who is a teacher, and of course we are in midterm, so good to hear if you're a teacher tuned in. Uh, get in touch with us and send your view. You can email corktoday at c103.ie. And Mary says the pay is an issue for everybody and she understands this. But this is why 
So many teachers pay into a union. Mary says a sub is taken every month from our wages. Mary feels it is worthwhile as the union fights for us. Yes, she says, I know friends of hers who are in unions and they do not fight as much. But us teachers are lucky with the union that represents us. Mary goes on to say, you will no doubt get people texting in about our holidays again. And we have. And she's uh, (laughs) already ahead of the game. But she says this was all negotiated by a union. And if people are unhappy, then, Mary says, join a union or get the union to negotiate on your behalf. Mary is teaching for 20 years. She says that it is a rewarding job, but it can be very tough. Uh, tough like every job in every sector but she does find it rewarding uh, watching children who do leave the education sector uh, and who do go on to have a good life but while she's doing it 20 years she says it's the union fight for their rights and it's worthwhile if people are giving out then go enjoy a union uh, says Mary and then Kieran is a teacher and Kieran, like Mary, uh, has texted in saying, I am waiting for people to give out about teachers and about the holidays and all of the, the rest of it. But Kieran is making the point that people are uh, giving out. He says, everybody had to choose a career and we all had the right to choose a career we wanted. We all filled out a CAO form. So if people are giving out, well then look back at your career choices and don't be giving out to the teachers. You could be one too, says Kieran on text 0862103103 WhatsApp on the same number or call Bernie and 0818103103 I'll be speaking about the issue with the dog uh, there that was a power hose that Mary uh, feels that poor dog and what was done to that dog uh, the person should be given a cold power wash and locked up uh, feels Mary and I know there's more comments in on that as well like Maura saying uh, that courier should be stripped and water hosed uh, but not water hosed sandblasted is what Mary is saying for that person uh, but the, the guard you hopefully are investigating this and more. you have made a good point they must have the carriage uh, they would have a good photo of him but she doesn't want money wasted on this person or court time wasted on this person they have the evidence so that person now should be dealt with it says Mora on WhatsApp and then we were mentioning the Joe Biden visit earlier on in the programme and Heidi is making a good point on WhatsApp. Uh, she says, Hi JP, yes, nice. Uh, Joe Biden came over to Ireland and all of that. But did anybody tell our Green TD and Transport Minister Eamon Ryan? Because how many planes came in uh, to this country? Was there 14 cars in Cavalade around him? Then we had Air Force One as well. And then he was flying from Belfast to Dublin. It's again, do as I say, but not as I do. It does show that money does count and it just proves how much the big wigs care really uh, about the carbon footprints and then they keep on at us about our own carbon footprint and indeed uh, they keep on to farmers about the cattle. But what has that got to do with it when you see uh, a US president like Joe Biden and the huge entourage that has come with him and all the vehicles and helicopters flying around the place? That is surely having an impact on the carbon footprint over Ireland. Uh, it's really a lot of rubbish. They're my thoughts, says Heidi. Uh, thank you, Heidi. On WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. Yesterday, uh, we had listeners who were asking about this nature warship, uh, which was in Bantry Bay. The Defence Forces told us that the warship uh, went to Bantry Bay to seek shelter from the storm and the uh, weather warning we had yesterday in place and the high winds along the coast. Well, uh, today, I have a text in from a person, a Bantry listener, who says, I see that NATO warship is still in Bantry Bay. The storm is long gone. 
And surely the storm that we had yesterday would have no effect uh, on a ship like this. Uh, will it stay hovering around while Joe Biden is in Ireland? Is asking a Bantry listener. Well, uh, we did check that out. And yes, uh, you are right. The uh, ship or the NATO warship is still within Bantry Bay. It's actually very near Glengariff and that area of Bantry Bay. Uh, but it still remains there. Uh, it's a French-registered NATO warship and according to the Defence Forces, it is seeking shelter from the storm, which is now gone. It's actually gone further inland. It was out further in the bay yesterday. It was kind of off Bear Island uh, and that section of Bantry Bay, it's gone further in towards Glengariff. Uh, if, yeah, that's that's coming from marine traffic. Anyway, it is still there. Uh, we'll wait and see if they will give us any updates on that. And maybe it is just monitoring things while uh, there's so much going on around our coast. Uh, on to farming. And this is to do with delayed payments for farmers. And we've got a lot of texts in over the last few days on this. First of all, uh, somebody asking, could Joe Biden talk to our Minister for Agriculture to save the sheep farmers after the uh, delaying payments? And also uh, somebody else mentioning that these delayed farm payments that we will all have to endure now in the farming community, this will have a knock-on effect in local communities with less farmers going to the co-ops, hardware stores and more. It will cost jobs in rural areas, says David, who's a farmer on WhatsApp. And then John Imbera was in touch. John is a sheep farmer and he was due to get his payment and he is due to get his payment this September. But as we're aware, they have put back the payments now until October. But the reason he's saying why farmers need it in September is because farmers buy stock and they usually do this in September if it's going to be a huge problem this year because farmers now won't have the money to do this and he reckons there will be huge issues later this year because of this and of course this is due to the um, later date of the uh, ANC the areas of natural constraints payments they're usually made in September and now uh, the payments are due to commence in October this year. That is a month later than they usually receive them. Um, the farmers receive, I think it's around this is the middle of September, it gets paid. It's now going to be, according to what we're hearing, the end of October. And farmers do budget when they receive, I said we all do, you budget when you know you're going to get a payment. But usually it comes in and around the National Ploughing Championships. And that's the din where a lot of the farmers will purchase stock or they decide on what stock they are purchasing. So uh, a lot of unhappiness within the farming community at the delay in this payment, pushing it back. Some are saying a month, some are saying nearly two months. If you look at the various dates, it gets paid. Anyhow, it's something we are looking into. Uh, we did discuss it a few weeks ago. We'll go back to that on the show. If not tomorrow, we'll touch on that on Monday show. Uh, but it is an issue we are looking into at the moment. Whether that will change or not, we'll have to wait and see. It doesn't look like it's going to change, uh, but it may do. Uh, but we'll see what happens. But thank you for your text to 0862-103-103. You can call Bernie on 0818-103-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Blarnian District Historical Society, they are hosting Jim Fahey speaking on the special language and traditions of stonemasons. It's going ahead tonight at 8 o'clock at Blarney Secondary School. The McCroom Flower and Garden Club, they're hosting a floral demonstration. It's by Melanie Harris. It's entitled Spring to Life. It's going ahead tonight at 8 o'clock at Coolcower House in McCroom. Doors open there at 7.30. And the AGM of Canturk Tidy Towns, that takes place tonight in the trade 
Union Hall. It's in Kenturk at 8 o'clock. Everybody is welcome there. And a fundraising music night will be held in Butlerstown Hall. That's on tomorrow night starting at 8.30. Local musicians will play on the night and all musicians are welcome. And this is an age of the Maloney family from the Barry Row area who lost their home in a fire recently. And if you want to include your event in the Cork Diary, you can email diary at c103.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. Gardaí are appealing for witnesses after a man was seen power hosing a dog at a car wash. This occurred in Bishopstown, and Martina Kinney is co founder of My Lovely Horse Rescue and joins me. Good afternoon to you, Martina. Good afternoon. Now, we did briefly describe what happened, but for those who haven't seen the video, can you outline exactly what took place and what happened to this poor dog? Yeah, um, so in the video, we were sent a video, two parts. Um, and I put it together um, and we were sent a video to one of our volunteers uh, by the guy who took the video and he wasn't sure what to do so we said look this needs to get out there this is crazy and basically um, it's a guy with with a poor dog um, right in under the car wash and he's literally spraying the dog with the car wash um, sprayer and and you see the dog carrying against the, the car and then kind of runs around the other side. Now, the dog is tied to the bumper, so it can't get away. It tries to get away, but he continues then to spray it on the other side of the car. It's just horrible. And when when the, the video is actually on, you can hear poor dog crying. It's awful. And the dog is tied to the bumper of the car? Yeah, yeah, because you can see when it goes around the other side, it can't get away. Well, you'd wonder, first of all, why someone would tie a dog to a bumper of a car when you're washing the car and power hosing the car. Well, they weren't. They were washing the dog. They were purposely washing that dog. So they weren't even washing the car? It was the dog they wanted to wash, not even the car? I think so, yeah. Well, it looks like that from the video, one way or the other. He is spraying the dog completely and then spraying it around the other side as well, not the car. And the chemicals contained in these water machines at these various petrol and and diesel stations, I mean, they are meant for cars. They're not for dogs' fur or skin. Exactly, not for our skin, not for dog skin, you know. So, uh, you know, that, that's the part that it's awful. And, and not even that, the pressure alone of that water, it's a, it's a power hose. So, you know, that that's very, really hard against anybody's body, and especially a poor dog. So that could break a rib even, you know, it's so powerful. And clearly the dog was in distress. I mean, I know the person that took the video uh, did approach the person. We don't want to go into too much detail because Gardaí are investigating. Yeah. Did that person go away with that dog? No. That person did try to, to, to did say, you know, look, get, get away. What are you doing? And was basically threatened. Um, he then went around the, the front of the petrol station. There, were, uh, there was a Garda there. Told the Garda the guy didn't take too much interest, but did walk around. Uh, but the the guy had left with the dog. Obviously, knew oh. the guy was probably going to get somebody, and um, so had left. But uh, we then told him he's got to get straight to the guards and make a statement and make sure there's a post number. 
You just wonder why people do something like this. I mean, I know it's yesterday horrible. we spoke with Cork Dog and they were telling us about a, a dog that was abandoned and there's so many dogs being abandoned, but this was a lurcher dog and he died due to his injuries. I mean, animal yeah. cruelty, when you hear of that yesterday and we see this today, why is it on the increase? And can we ever figure out why people out there do something like this? I mean, you know when you're power hosing a dog with the force of that water, as you mentioned, and, and chemicals when we're aware when you go to those car yeah. washes, your car sparkling yeah. after it for a reason the water isn't just doing it alone there's something in the water exactly I mean, why do these people do this we, we've no idea cruelty is on the rise um, and it is a lot to do with COVID we uh, overbred because everybody wanted a dog for their five mile radius walk or whatever um, so dogs were you know you couldn't keep a dog in a rescue couldn't keep it in a pound because everybody wanted a dog the wrong people were breeding back garden breeders. You know, they were breeding those poor dogs um, as much as they could, selling dogs for like thousands upon thousands. We have loads of people that have come to us with a greyhound that was sold to them as um, a Jack Russell. Um, now people don't want those dogs anymore. You know, the, the kids have gone back to school. They've no time. Loads of excuses. Most dogs are only two or three, so it's perfect for that, you know, time we know it was a coke dog others the breeders are contacting us as well and saying oh I don't want these dogs anymore um, they're, they're you know I'm done with them we're not making as much money anymore we've had every type of story and excuse and it's horrible and now we have a dog crisis in this country and the cruel people are getting away with murder because there's so many dogs out there you know and they're roaming the streets God love them there's no place for them pounds are full rescues are full we're we actually made you know, we, we never really had a proper dog rescue, but we literally had to do that straight after COVID. We knew this was going to happen. And um, and we had to build kennels. We started to raise money to build kennels. We've taken as many as we can. It's really sad. And we've, and we've all sorts of horrible cases. Horrible. The cruelty is unreal. All because people wanted a dog over the lockdowns. It was the thing to do. They saw it on social media. So they all decided to get a dog. And then once we were all back to work and they could go out again and socialise, the dog got thrown out, basically. Yeah. I mean, so it's the only so people that made Yeah, and the only people that made a lot of money during COVID were dog breeders, you know. Yeah. And these are backstreet dog breeders breeding all sorts of things. God loved the poor mothers that were locked up the whole time. Puppy farms, you know, I call them puppy factories. Horrible places. Should all be shut down. Yeah, and for some reason, we seem to have a lot of puppy farms or puppy factories, as you, as you say, in the Cork area. I don't know why that is, but there always is, yeah. when we deal with stories like this, it goes back to a particular puppy farm and they're always in around the, the Munster or Cork and Limerick area. So I don't, I don't know why, the, why that is. Yeah, and look where you see, you know, where there's money to be made, yeah. animals, where the, and animals are the best way to do it because they can talk, they can't tell you the story, you know. They can't tell you what they've gone to except from their wounds or you know, the state they're in, that's the only story that you, you, you possibly can get from them, the trauma that they've just gone through. It's, it's really bad and without a doubt there is a huge crisis and, and it needs to be addressed. Certainly it does and hopefully as things go forward and more of these stories are made public yeah. that people will take responsibility and, and first of all not even think about harming an animal or anybody uh, but will see things like this happen and, and maybe like that person 
it capture it and the Gardaí will investigate like they are doing with this one and if anybody witnessed anything in the Bishopstown area you are asked to contact any Garda station on that and just to what line it was on a service station in Bishopstown not their fault uh, they had nothing to do with this just happened to happen there but it wasn't their fault and, and you know people can't be watching everything 24-7 either it really is down to the person that is doing this and harm animals for the moment Martina best of luck to the work you do there Thank you so uh, with much. my lovely horse rescue and I'm sure no doubt we'll be chatting again uh, but best of luck Thank you uh, take care that is Martina Kenny there uh, of my lovely horse rescue on that awful awful incident and I can see a lot of calls and texts coming in regarding that uh, and it's just so sad to think that we still have people in this country who feel that it's okay to do that to dogs and go around and harm them and as many are saying on text that they're harming dogs and defenceless animals what are they doing to young children or other humans as well uh, a lot of calls and comments coming in keep your questions coming in for Jane our vet on a different side of those who care for their animals Jane Pickett of the Idenwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket will join us next Bernie taking those uh, right now questions that is on 0818 103 103 text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 just a final few comments in on what we were discussing earlier this is on the footpaths and jury is in Glanton he says the rates in Cork City are astronomical and we are being used to pay compo to people who deliberately fall says the jury in Glantol he says the Law Society in Ireland is driving all of this and the barristers and solicitors are making a fortune with the no win no fee cases they are taking those cases should be stopped no one should get compo for falling on a footpath it is your own responsibility if you fall says jury in Glantol while Charlie says the footpath along Wellington Road going up towards the Military Hill and St. Luke's Cross is very dangerous. The roots of the trees are breaking up through the path, which means people, if you're walking at late at night, Charlie says, you can easily trip over a tree root because you're not aware of it and it's breaking up the footpath and that can happen. Thank you, Charlie, for your call. And John is in Morn Abbey. Uh, John, this is regarding the teachers. He says, when we spoke with the INTO earlier regarding uh, teachers, not only the INTO, but all uh, teacher unions who were looking for better pay for their members due to the cost of living and housing crisis but John and Morn Abbey saying the teachers are on good pay but a lot of it is going in tax income tax needs to be reduced for all workers as if you are in good pay a chunk of it just disappears and it's not the workers fault while John in Cove on teachers as well says teachers put in long hours after the day is finished doing work at home marking homework etc their weekends are taken up John's son is a teacher and more than half of his wages go in tax and John says, dealing with the parents is worse than dealing with teach with the children. Uh, so there we are. A lot of people coming back with that. Uh, teachers and those who thought about becoming a teacher but decided against it. They're all saying dealing with the parents is worse than the children. So there we are. Uh, thank you for your call, John Incove, uh, to 0818 103 103. And again, uh, a lot of people reacting to our conversation with Martina there. Uh, somebody here saying that poor dog, uh, so upset by hearing this. Why is there so much cruelty in the world? People should remember as dogs are, are for life. If you can't look after their dog, when you get the dog at the time, then you should not get one. People seem to forget that, that like a child, if you get a dog, it's there with you for life. And thank you for your WhatsApp. Uh, we'll be joining Jane Pickett shortly.
uh, on our uh, vet slot if you have any questions for Jane uh, get those into us but Premier League Live it's back on C103.ie with Trevor Welch it's back this Saturday from midday powered by Talk Sport and we'll bring you live coverage of Aston Villa taking on Newcastle at 12.30 Chelsea taking on Brighton at 3 and Man City take on Leicester at 5.30 the Premier League Live online with Harvey Norman your home of the big screen listen Saturdays on the C103 app or go to C103.ie with your comment 0818 103 103 Can you talk to me? Cork today on C103 And just a final comment from Helen who was in Mallow on that awful story we heard from Bishopstown regarding the treatment of that dog Helen says people treat dogs like this because they get away with it politicians know there's no votes in dogs look what's going on in areas of Cork with puppy farms if there was more laws made maybe people would react differently or maybe more punishments as well thank you Helen in Mallow for your text uh, let's uh, stay on animals but in a more positive vein Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group joins me good afternoon to you Jane Good afternoon, John Paul. And uh, thanks for joining us. Just we were speaking there regarding that awful incident in Bishopstown. You're probably busy in your clinic uh, and you didn't hear at all about a man power washing a dog and just the, first of all, the force of uh, water on a dog and also the chemicals and people just making the point, animal cruelty has just seemed to increase outside of that incident. We had another incident yesterday as well, uh, whereby we, uh, not we, but most people wanted a dog over lockdowns and now we're paying the price with cruelty on the rise mm, it, you know it's a, it's a really difficult situation ongoing I suppose the vast majority of pet owners are really great caring for their pets you know very mindful yeah. of welfare but unfortunately there is that subsection uh, of, of owners that are I suppose not as considerate of their welfare and I suppose it's really important that we just remember you know these animals they feel pain they feel physical pain they feel emotional pain in a very similar way to what we do um, so we just need to be cognizant of that. I think certainly your point as, as regards, let's say, the big increase in dog ownership and cat ownership over the, the pandemic certainly has caused issues. I know as everybody's returned to work, lifestyle has changed quite considerably from when we were all at home during the pandemic. So obviously, you know, some people are unfortunately left in a situation where dog or cat ownership may not align with their, their working life and their work, their ability to be at home and take care of them. And in some sad situations, people have had to, I suppose, responsibly um, rehome their animals. But in some other cases, I suppose the ones that would be particularly concerning, there are significant welfare issues, whether that just be that they, you know, the pet is not not having its normal routine care, lack of feeding, or perhaps, I suppose, in some sad situations like you were discussing there, and um, some kind of more reverse cruelty, physical issues. And it is really, really sad. Um, it's an ongoing issue, and we all wish it would would be something that never happened and that oh. all animals would have good welfare, but it's, it is an ongoing consideration. It is, it, it is. it is a sad thing to see and watch and hear mm. about. Anyhow, we have people who aren't like that, as you mentioned, and the majority of people are very good to their pets and we'll get through them as many of the questions we can uh, today. Uh, first one in Jane is from a listener on WhatsApp who says their dog seems to be constipated a lot. Now, they got high fibre nuts from their vet, uh, but she is still constipated. Any advice for this person? Okay, um, so well done on taking the first step, contacting your vet and getting some high fibre diet. That's always a good plan. So the more fibre content in the diet, there's kind of, let's say, more roughage 
to help everything move through and out the other side and be well adjusted. But sometimes there can still be lingering issues. Now, there are a number of things that I would say. Their hydration is really important as well. So to I suppose, make sure that they have adequate access to water, I'm sure they have. If you, um, But it's just to make sure that they're drinking enough water, that they're hydrated enough. And it's not lack of hydration that's making that stool quality become harder, harder, I suppose, drier and more difficult to pass. But then it might be time if constipation is still ongoing, despite good hydration and lots of fibre content, to consider, well, is there a physical issue that's causing the problem here? So I think one of the most common things that I would see with, let's say, constipation when everything else seems okay, is to have a think, particularly in an older pet, are they comfortable in their joints? Now, bear with me, there is a bit of a connection. So if you think about every time your dog or cat kind of squats to do their business, they are having to use their back legs quite a lot. So in older pets, sometimes we see where they have some creaky joints, they may not be so comfortable. They'll kind of, to a certain extent, avoid posturing to do their business because it might hurt them, which can lead to constipation over time. So they may be holding it as it were, and the stool quality will kind of dry out and become more difficult to pass when they do eventually squat. So thinking about your dog's mobility, are they comfortable or is it pain that's preventing them from kind of squatting to do their business? And I suppose secondary to that is sometimes we can have problems internally which make constipation an issue. So I suppose on the I suppose on the more serious side of things, sometimes there can be a lump or a bump within the gut which can make things more difficult to pass. Or sometimes we can have changes in the back passage. So sometimes we can get it where it's not kind of a, a nice kind of circular tube. We can have little out pouches which lead to, to constipation. Now, they're complicated things to, to assess. But what I will say is that if the constipation has continued despite good hydration and fibre content, it's really time to make a second trip to your vet. Let them know that the issue hasn't solved and they may be able to dig a little bit deeper. Discuss some of the things probably we've discussed today um, and just delve a little bit further into the history of when it started, how long it's been going on, is it something really consistent or is it just once in a while? And that'll be able to help them to get to the bottom of the answer. So really best of luck with that one. Yeah, best of luck with that. Uh, Another Jane is in Mallow and Jane has a cat, a middle-aged, neutered male. uh, But she noticed this cat was shaking his head a lot. So she went and cleaned out his ears. Uh, She can see no sign of of ear mites or an infection. So what could be causing this cat to shake his head? Hmm. I would say, well done on cleaning out the ears to begin with. It is possible that something could be going on deeper within the ear. So first I'd say, although you can see, let's say, no kind of signs of ear infection or ear wax from the outside, it is really important that your vet, I suppose you get your vet involved so that they can check deeper within the ear canal with a little tool called an otoscope, which just allows us to see down to the base of the ear canal. It may be even a case that sometimes a lot of ear infections or irrita- irritations are, although they're usually accompanied by discharge or waxiness, sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's just a lot of redness deep down in the ear canal and without a tool you wouldn't be able to see that. So it may be a case of your vet might need to take a little sample to look at under the microscope to assess if there's any bacteria or yeast or ear mites there that need to be treated. If that's all clear, then there's a few possibilities. It could be that there might be inner ear disease. So that's something that we can't see at all from the outside. So at the very back of our skull, we have a little bony bit called bullae. And they're kind of hard areas that kind of contain the inner ear. So we wouldn't be able to see any trace of infection from the outside there. But cats can commonly get problems in their inner ear, whether it be infection, or sometimes they can even get little lumps and bumps. Sometimes they're even benign, but they can cause head shaking and irritation. It is also possible in some cats, they can have, I suppose, 
neurological issues or brain issues which give them a, a, a shake. Sometimes it's a, a, an obvious head shake. Sometimes it's more of an intention tremor, so kind of like a little mini shake as they're trying to do something. So there's a few options here. Look, the common things are common. I'd say it's important to go to your vet, get them to, to rule out a, an ear infection or an inner ear infection and then go from there. Okay, and Margaret has two kittens. Now, they are adopted, as they kept calling to her home, so they're strays. Uh, But the two kittens, they're well settled now with her. But the big thing for her is she's unsure of their age. Uh, So she wants to know when is the best time to get them neutered. She thinks they're about nine months old, but she is very unsure. So any advice for Margaret? Okay, so lovely to hear that they've been taken on and they sound like they've landed on their feet with a nice home. It is really important to get our, our cats neutered because our feral cat population of unwanted cats in this country is absolutely huge. And the only way we can solve that ongoing to make sure that the cats we do have in the country are fed and taken care of and have good welfare is to, I suppose, continually keep track of the population by neutering. In cats, they can usually be neutered from about four or five months of age. And it's important to do this early. Now, speak to your local vet. Some, some will have kind of a lower weight limit that they'll consider having for neutering, let's say, because a full general anaesthetic is required. So speak to your own local vet as to what their preference is. But theoretically, from kind of four or five months of age, they should be fine for neutering. To be honest, I wouldn't leave it much longer than that. So if you think they could be almost nine months, I will be ringing your vet up this week and try and get them, try and get them booked in at all if you can. OK, Jane, and best of luck to Margaret. Thank you for that. And we'll chat to you again next Thursday. Take care. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Jane Pickett there of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. Enjoy your Thursday afternoon. My thanks to Bernie Murphy, who produced. I'm John Paul McNamara. We'll chat to you tomorrow morning for Friday's edition of Cork Today from 10 a.m.